The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks poised to kick off the new year in the green after their worst year since the financial crisis, but there is a silver lining. And Tesla coming up short when it comes to 2022 deliveries. This is the company reportedly names a new number two right behind Elon Musk. And Sam Bankman-Fried back in court today and expected to respond to criminal charges of cheating investors out of billions of dollars. Plus, Apple reportedly slowing down production of key devices as demand falls short of company estimates. And later, after a very rough 2022, and look at a possible turning of the tide when it comes to real estate in the new year. It is Tuesday, January the 3rd, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Happy New Year. Let's kick off this new year and this first day of trading with a check on U.S. stock futures. Right now, as you can see, they are solidly in the green across the board right now at this point. And again, it is so early. It's the first day of the trading year. The Dow could open up about 300 points higher. Strong start to this new year. This follows a very rough 2022 for U.S. equity investors. For the year, the Dow fell 9%, snapping a three-year win streak. The S&P, it closed down almost 20%. You see it right here, 19.44 right here. Also ending a three-year win streak. And then the NASDAQ, the hardest hit, down 33% last year. First down year in three. All three of the major indexes coming off their worst year since 2008. That's all the way back to the Great Recession. But it is not all doom and gloom. Taking a shorter snapshot of both the Dow and the S&P 500, they're actually both coming off pretty strong Q4s. The Dow up more than 15%. Um, and also you see the S&P up as well, about 7%, both snapping a three-quarter losing streak to end the year. So maybe some momentum going into 2023. We also want to check the bond market, of course. It's been a key factor in the markets in 2022. Right now we're seeing the 10-year note at 3.73, the two-year note at 4.34. We're still seeing that inverted yield curve, something to watch as a recession indicator. 10-year note uh, starting the year, basically at the same level at the end of the year. Also looking at energy, oil coming off a more than 6% gain in 2022, its second positive year in the row. This morning, we're seeing WTI crude at about 80 bucks a barrel, up fractionally this morning. But when it comes to commodities, oil has nothing on lumber. Lumber down more than 67% last year. Look at this chart right here. Steep decline, obviously lumber heavily levered to the real estate market. Worst year on record going all the way back to 1979. And then last but not least, of course, Sam Beckman-Fried's hearing coming up later today. we got to take a look at crypto. Looking at it across the board, kind of a mixed picture right now. Um, Bitcoin right here, still below that key 17,000 mark. That became a key uh, metric and a key level for the, the Bitcoin last year, up fraction this morning. Solana actually surging a bit this morning, up 5%. This was one of the hardest hit coins. It was a favorite of Sam Bankman-Fried in Q4. It got especially hard hit, maybe guilt by association. All right, let's see if things fared any better overseas. Arabila Gumedi, he's standing by in our London newsroom with much more on that. Great to see you, Arabile, and Happy New Year. 
Happy New Year to you, Frank. Well, it seems like a positive start to the New Year as well out on the European market front. The FTSE 100 is only back for its first day, with the rest of the European market having, of course, seen a sense of positivity. The PMI numbers having come out seem to point to the worst being over, uh, particularly uh, on the European uh, manufacturing front. So perhaps things beginning to tick a little bit higher, so the market taking in a whole lot of positivity, as you can tell, the, the market out in the UK up more than 2%. So it's a positive start then is uh, to 2023. We're also expecting uh, inflation numbers to come out of Germany, France, as well as Italy later on this week. That could possibly send a clear message out as to how things are faring, particularly on that inflation front and what that means then for the European Central Bank is, of course, uh, interest rates become a key factor for the remainder of the year. So, too, those Fed minutes being very important for the market. What kind of message and sentiment will that send through? As you can tell, very green across the board, though, and that UK manufacturing number, the PMI number coming in, yes, still a sense of negativity there but indeed still improving, and it does point to the worst indeed being over. Frank. Yeah, perhaps a very good omen for this new year. Arabile, thank you very much. Great to see you. All right, turning our attention back to the market stateside. Futures pointing to a positive start to the new year after, let's face it, a very ugly 2022, but investors are not out of the woods, at least not just yet, if history repeats itself, because the S&P has fallen in each of the last three Januaries and in six of the last nine And according to that so-called January barometer, as January goes, so does the year. And here's a bonus fact. It's not random, but it's pretty interesting. 2022 was the first time in three years that this January barometer actually worked, with the S&P falling 5% before ending the year down just about 20%. Let's talk much, much more about this with Robert Teeter, head of investment policy and strategy group at Silvercrest Asset Management. Happy New Year, Robert. Happy New Year to you, Frank. Thanks for having me on. All right. Kind of a positive start to the year. Futures strongly in the green. Share your outlook for 2023. And do you see any major themes shaping up this new year? Sure. Well, I think the first theme is one you touched on earlier, which is the fourth quarter. We're building on a little bit of success of getting inflation under a bit more control, uh, having bond interest rates being a bit more stable. And that's provided a bit of a cushion for valuation. So I think as we look forward to the new year, that's one theme to draw on. Uh, The other is really going to be this collision that we see between some of the factors that have been bad but improving, such as inflation and interest rates, and some of those factors that have been a little bit better but are perhaps weakening, such as the economy and earnings. So when we look back through all of it, we think the recipe is there for modest gains on the year, driven by a little bit of earnings advance and some improvement in valuation. All right. So you're saying modest gains for the year. We're also seeing some modest improvement when it comes to inflation. Are we totally out of the woods? Are we definitely trending in the right direction, at least in your opinion? I think we're clearly trending in the right direction. I think when you hear Chair Powell talk about inflation in three categories, goods clearly improving, um, housing and shelter being a lagging indicator, showing some improvement in real-time metrics, but will take a while to flow through to the CPI metric of shelter. And then services is the real question mark. So the Fed has expressed some concern that services inflation might be sticky. I think that is possible. We've had a lot of pent-up services demand, so that may stick around for a bit. But we're clearly headed in the right direction. Since June or July, CPI has been trending down. Most of the real-time indicators are pointing down. Doesn't mean we're fully out of the woods, but we're definitely headed in the right direction. All right, inflation, one of the big stories of 2022. The other big story really was valuations. Um, A lot of that's based on, of course, earnings estimates. Where do you see earnings estimates going in the new year? And how does that shape this market? Sure. So I think earnings next year will be in a tight band, kind of around flat, probably up a little bit uh, in my view, but with a lot of noise beneath the surface. Again, that disconnect between goods and services uh, will show some very disparate outcomes as far as revenue gains. 
You'll also see companies dealing with cost pressures in differing ways. So labor costs will have a varied impact across sectors. So there will be a lot of noise beneath the surface, um, but we think small, modest gains for earnings, perhaps on the order of about 5 percent. All right. It's a very interesting take there, Robert. Um, You believe that there's six themes are going to shape the market. I think we hit on two of them, inflation and earnings. Is there another one that you think is very crucial to how we look at 2023 and especially Q1? Well, I think there are a lot of things going on here this year. Uh, Certainly the geopolitical situation has been challenging all throughout 2022. That's always a bit of a wild card. It's things seem to have stabilized a bit here in the back half of 2022. Um, If that continues, that should also help alleviate some pressure on valuation. Uh, But that one, as you know, is always quite unpredictable in terms of the geopolitical outlook. All right, Robert Teeter, we appreciate your insight on the first trading day of the year. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Let's get to this morning's big money mover and big news around Tesla after getting clobbered last year, falling more than 66 percent. Our Pippa Stevens is here. Happy New Year, Pippa. Happy New Year, Frank, and good morning. Well, shares of Tesla down another three and a half percent this morning after the company said it sold a record 1.3 million vehicles last year with production up 47 percent compared to a year ago. Those numbers, however, do fall short of CEO Elon Musk's own expectations after he pledged the company would grow sales by 50 percent last year and every year. Q4 sales also coming up short. Tesla says it delivered more than 405,000 vehicles in the final three months of the year. But analysts were expecting a number close to 427,000. And sticking with Tesla reports this morning, the company's China chief, Tom Zhu, has been promoted and is now overseeing sales in every major market, including the U.S. and Europe. According to Reuters, the move makes Zhu the highest profile executive at Tesla, second only to Elon Musk. Also monitoring what could be a sign of more pain to come for Tesla shareholders. South Korea's antitrust regulator says it is fining the company $2.2 million for allegedly exaggerating the driving range of its EVs in low temperatures. The watchdog says that range could fall by up to 50 percent when exposed to cold weather. And of course, Frank, the stock coming off its worst year on record. Yeah, worst year on record. And Pip, I know you were going to see a couple more times in the show today. You're going to have a look at a commodity that's a key factor for Tesla and other EVs, lithium. Looking forward to it. Pippa Stevens, thank you. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, and look at what to expect when Sam Bankman-Fried returns to a New York federal courtroom later on today. Plus, bracing for a repeat after oil's wild ride in 2022. And later, details on the developing story in Buffalo after a Bills player collapsed during the opening minutes of last night's football game. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. 
Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Oil prices are holding steady today, right around a one-month high, about 80 bucks a barrel for WTI. That's despite weaker factory data from China, the world's largest importer and second-largest consumer of crude, and a warning from the head of the IMF about a tough year ahead for the global economy. WTI crude ended up nearly 7% in 2022, while Brent finished up more than 10%, but both well off their highs for the year. Let's talk about much more about where oil may be headed in 2023 with Jorge Leon, head of regional balances for oil markets at Rystad Energy. Jorge, Happy New Year. Thanks for being here. Hi, Frank. Happy New Year. All right. We got to just kick it off with the basics here, Jorge. Uh, what's your base case for oil in 2023? Where do you see the high? Where do you see the low? I'm asking you to dip into your crystal ball and give us some outlook. That's a difficult one. Um, so, but I can share some, some insights. So for 2023, our base case annual average is $90 per barrel. But that doesn't really say much because we think that there's going to be a lot of a, a bumpy road ahead for, for this year. And in particular, in the next few months, the first few months of the year, we see downside pressure on prices. Uh, we see some factors such as the global economic recession, uh, central banks try to fight inflation, and also Chinese um, exiting net um, zero COVID policy will have a downside effect on, on prices. If you fast forward a few, mo- a few months, on the second half of 2023, the factors are actually positive. We see upside pressure on prices uh, as the economy um, resumes growth and as China opens up to the world again we see upside pressure on prices. But again, um, uncertainty, I think, is, is, the world, is the word here for, for this year. There is significant upside uncertainty and downside uncertainty going forward. All right, so a lot of questions. And, Jorge, we just showed a great graphic a minute ago, if we can show that again, of some of the big themes in 2022 for the oil market. There was, of course, China's zero-COVID policy remaining closed. There were the OPEC cuts and, of course, the Russia-Ukraine war. Is there one theme for 2023 that you think investors should watch the closest? So, so I think there's, there's, there's a lot of things uh, um, that, that we should watch out. And I think that if I look back at 2022 and if something, if history is telling us something, there are three things that call my attention in 2022 that will give us some hints into 2023. The first one is that Despite sanctions on Russia, which is the third top third world uh, producer, uh, despite OPEC Plus cutting production by 2 million barrels per day, and despite U.S. share production disappointing in 2022, oil prices ended up lower next last year or where they started at the beginning of 2022. So that was quite surprising. And I also think that it's quite remarkable that in an environment of $100 per barrel um, oil price as last year, Demand grew by 2.4 million barrels per day. That's massive growth. You wouldn't expect that at $100 per, per barrel. And this is mainly because um, central banks and um, governments around the world start um, cutting taxes and adding fuel subsidies in the, um, you know, to, um, um, on road, road fuels. And, and finally, one thing that I think is relevant also for 2023 that happened in 2022 is that OPEC Plus seems to be back in the driving seat. U.S. shale production was meant to be the swing producer 
was was meant to to produce the the marginal barrel, but in reality is OPEC plus who's on the driving okay. seat. Okay, Jorge, we got to get out of here. One last question for you. U.S. focus question, actually. Where do you see gas prices in 2023? Right now, we're actually a few cents lower on U.S. gas prices for regular unleaded than we were a year ago. It, um, so, so I really think that it, it very much depends on what would happen with the sanctions on 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 Russia. Uh, EU sanctions on products to start on the first on the fifth of February. It depends on what would be the reaction of of OPEC of, okay. of Russia in that sense. My hunch is that we are going to see upside pressure on prices there. All right, we appreciate that hunch, Jorge Leon of Rise State Energy. We appreciate you being here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange after a rough 2022. A look at a possible turning of the tide when it comes to buying and or investing in real estate in the new year. Stay with us. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up. Today's big number, $750 billion. That's the projected annual revenue for the global fintech industry by 2030, according to UBS, as penetration reaches the mid-teens. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back. Disgraced crypto mogul Sam Bankman Fried is due back in a federal New York City courtroom today to answer for crimes of fraud and scheming investors out of billions of dollars. Arjun Kapal joins us now from our London newsroom with much more on this story. Good morning and happy new year, Arjun. Happy New Year to you as well, Frank. Not such a great start to 2023 for Sam Bankman-Fried. However, as he appears today in a New York court, he's expected, according to multiple reports, to be pleading not guilty. A couple of reasons, perhaps, for, for that. One, buying time for his legal team to suss out potential defenses for some of the, uh, the charges that have been leveled against him. The second as well is that this could kick off a discovery process uh, in terms of the legal proceedings, which could allow him and his legal team to know what kind of evidence the U.S. government actually has against him. Just a reminder, of course, a recap. Uh, SBF has been charged with eight criminal counts, including securities and wire fraud. He's been extradited from the Bahamas to the U.S. to face these, and he's living with his parents right now on bail. But there was a big twist in this whole story last month when two of his closest allies pleaded guilty to a number of uh, counts, uh, uh, criminal counts by federal prosecutors. That is Caroline Ellison, the Alameda CEO, and Gary Wang, the FTX co-founder. As I mentioned, they pleaded guilty and, crucially, they agreed to cooperate in the investigation of SPF and FTX, which could pose big difficulties right now. So a lot on the line today and going forward for SBF, because if he's found guilty of some of these charges, then he could be facing life in prison, Frank. Very serious charges here, Arjun. So I want to go back to some of his former colleagues that decided to testify against him. Um, today, where we stand when it comes to the investigation? 
Well, we know right now that there have been, uh, as I mentioned, eight uh, criminal counts charged against him. Of course, these are allegations at this point. Now, some of the allegations include uh, the fact that FTX misappropriated some of customers' funds in terms of moving it between FTX uh, and the sister company, Alameda. That's one of the allegations. Some of those customer funds, the DOJ alleges, were used to fund political campaigns as well. So at this moment, clearly, prosecutors feel they have some ev evidence against SPF at this point. Now, it's going to be key what he does today in terms of pleading guilty or not guilty, because then, as I mentioned, that could kick off a discovery process, which may reveal a little bit more to us and to SBF what information exactly uh, prosecutors have on FTX at this point as well. But I think the inclusion and the cooperation of two of his closest allies, remember, these were two of his co-allies, um, co-founders as well. So if any of these allegations are indeed true, they are likely to know and be privy to some of the decision-making behind the scenes as well and what was going on. So that could be pretty critical as this case goes forward uh, and as the DOJ does build its case against SBF, Frank. All right, so obviously the legal situation has changed dramatically, but back in early December when our Andrew Ross Sorkin spoke to Sam Bankman fried he claimed that he was actually working to recoup some of the money for the people that were negatively impacted by this entire scandal and fiasco. Any update on that? Uh, any word on what he's done or allegedly done to help people get their money back? Well, we know at this point the, Bahama, uh, the Bahamian authorities have actually seized uh, several billions of dollars of FTX uh, funds at this point for what they call safekeeping uh, because they felt that they could be subject to cyber attacks. That's one aspect. We know some of FTX customers in Japan have been able to withdraw some, uh, some of their funds uh, from FTX. But as, as, as in terms of recovering a huge amount of those funds, there hasn't been a, a big amount of steps being taken yet. We know John Ray III, who's in charge of really this whole process of getting customer funds back, uh, is making progress there. But there hasn't been huge steps taken yet. So that's going to take some time to recover all those funds. And clearly, a lot of uh, those investors will be looking at this court case going forward. All right. A lot of questions left. Hopefully, we'll get some answers at the court hearing today. Arjun, thank you again and happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines, including that developing situation involving a player collapsing during last night's NFL game. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest. Happy New Year, Francis. Hi, Frank. Happy New Year to you and good morning. We begin with some heavy headlines. New details on Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin. The team says Hamlin is sedated and is in critical condition after he collapsed on the field following a tackle against the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bills adding overnight that Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest and his heartbeat was restored on the field. CPR was administered for several minutes before Hamlin was lifted into an ambulance. There is an outpouring of support from players around the league, as you can imagine. Bills quarterback Josh Allen wrote, please pray for our brother. Coaches met with referees on the field before bringing the players to the locker room. The game was postponed shortly after. Actor Jeremy Renner is still in critical but stable condition in a Reno hospital. The Marvel superhero was injured in a New Year's, New Year's Day snowplow accident outside his home. TMZ reporting Renner was trying to clear the road after the New Year's Eve storm when the snowcat accidentally rolled over his leg, causing severe blood loss. 
And now the heavy storms plaguing the South, triggering tornado watches for multiple states. In Arkansas, a suspected twister struck Jesseville High School while classes were in session, damaging buildings and structures around the school. There were no injuries reported, and authorities say the National Weather Service will confirm whether it was, in fact, a tornado. For a Tuesday morning, Frank, those are your headlines. We send it back to you. All right, Francis Rivera, live in New York City. Francis, thank you very much. Sure. All right, as we had to break here on Worldwide Exchange, check out shares of Cineworld and AMC. Cineworld this morning denying reports it or its advisors are in talks with AMC regarding any asset sale. Cineworld, which owns Regal Cinemas, adding that it has been in talks with key stakeholders since September to develop a Chapter 11 reorg to maximize value for shareholders and for customers. And one more thing, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Kicking off the new trading year, investors looking for a fresh start after stocks suffer their worst year since the financial crisis. Futures, however, pointing to a higher open. Washington also gearing up to get back to work. Lawmakers returning to the Hill today as President Biden now faces a divided Congress and pushing his agenda forward. The key items investors need to watch out of D.C. And Apple reportedly scaling back production on some of its most popular items as the tech giant faces demand concerns. It is Tuesday, January the 3rd, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to CNBC. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Happy New Year. It's right around 530 a.m. here on the East Coast. Let's get to how the markets are looking for the first trading day of this new year. And you can see Futures for this new year, they're starting off in the green. All three indices up right around 1%, fractionally lower or higher. Right now, the Dow looks like it could open up about 250 to 270 points higher at the open. Remember, it is early, and we're coming off a pretty rough 2022 for U.S. stocks. The Dow shedding nearly 9%, snapping a three-year win streak. You can see the S&P down almost 20% for the year. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit, down 33% for year for the year, all three coming off their first down year in the last three. So hopefully a lot of people are expecting a much better 2023 looking ahead. All right. We're going to keep looking here at the markets on this first trading day of the year as we continue to look. Um, our next thing we're going to look at is how the Dow and the S&P, well, they weren't that hard hit when it comes to Q4. The Dow actually finishing Q4 up 15%. The S&P finishing up 7%. It was the Nasdaq that was really the laggard, finished Q4 down just 1%. Uh, so I also want to take a look at the bond market that has a big impact on the markets in 2022. The 10-year yield right now at 3.74%. We're still seeing that inverted yield curve, supposedly a recession indicator, something we've been talking about for months here on the markets. And we want to get one look at the energy space as well. WTI crude right now trading. Well, it's actually moved just slightly lower this morning as we've been watching it, down about 79, almost 80 bucks a barrel, down about a half a percent since the start of this morning. Something to watch. All right, let's get a check on this morning's top stories with our Pippa Stevens. She's back with those. Good morning again, Pippa. Good morning, Frank. I am back. And there are more headaches for airline travelers over the New Year's holiday weekend. The FAA says a problem with the critical air traffic control system that caused flight delays at major airports in Florida yesterday has been fixed. American Airlines tweeting earlier in the day that the issue had originated at the Miami Control Center and was affecting all carriers. The issue coming just days after Southwest Airlines resumed normal operations following its Christmas weekend schedule meltdown. 
And Apple is reportedly cutting orders for some of its key products for the first quarter. According to Nikkei, the tech giant has alerted suppliers to lower orders for almost all product lines due to weakening demand. The report says that AirPods, Apple Watches and MacBooks will likely be the most impacted products. And tensions between two crypto tycoons spilling over into the public. Cameron Winklevoss, who co-founded crypto exchange Gemini, taking to Twitter to accuse Barry Silbert, CEO of the digital currency group, which owns Lender Genesis, of, quote, bad faith stall tactics that are hurting rank and file customers. Genesis is a leading is a lending partner of Gemini's Earn program, which lets retail users earn high interest rates for lending out their cryptos. Digital currency halted loan originations and redemptions in mid-November amid the collapse of FTX. Winklevoss claims Genesis owes Gemini $900 million for funds Gemini lent to it as part of the EARN program. Gemini was sued last week over money locked in that program. Frank? All right, Pippa, thank you very much. All right, turning our attention to the housing market, 2022 proven to be a pretty tough year for the housing market, especially when it came to mortgage rates. Rates dramatically higher from where they were a year ago, creating new hurdles for would-be buyers and would-be sellers. Our Diana Olick joins us now with what it all means for the housing sector's year ahead in 2023. Good morning and Happy New Year, Diana. Good morning, Frank, and Happy New Year to you, too. After a brief reprieve in November and early December, as you said, mortgage rates ended 2022 on a high note. The average rate on the 30-year fixed had swung nearly a full percentage point lower from around 7.25% to 6.25%, but by New Year's Eve, it was back up over 6.5%. Prices have fallen since June, but are still higher than they were a year ago. So for the buyer of a median priced home, today's mortgage rate translates into a monthly payment of about $2,100 without taxes or insurance, which is a 63 percent increase from the same time a year ago. That is according to Realtor.com, whose chief economist Danielle Hale predicts rates will head over 7 percent again this year and end the year around 7.5 percent. Now, on the bright side, there is much more more supply, 47% more than a year ago at the end of November, still slightly below the historical average, but it is translating into a slower, less competitive market. Homes are taking an average of 56 days to sell, 15% longer than a year ago. Prices have been coming down month to month at a rapid pace, and the annual comparison, while still close to 10% higher, is half of what it was in June. And remember, prices are still an incredible 39% higher than they were at the start of the pandemic. Looking ahead, of course, it it is much about the Fed, which, along with everyone else, is now looking toward the all-important jobs report Friday. But it's also going to be about demand. Where is the line for home buyers to jump back in? They are already used to a pricey housing market, just now getting more used to a pricey mortgage market. Frank. Yeah, pricey to say the least, Diana, the way that the rates have really just jumped up. So I think my question for you is, what does this mean for the so-called spring selling season? We've obviously had a big disruption from COVID and housing prices just skyrocketing. Are we going to see some normalcy and a return to that spring selling season this year? Well, I think that depends entirely on the Fed and the mortgage rates. Uh, Look, we're going into January, which is traditionally the slowest month, uh, just a little bit better perhaps than December. So slowest season for housing right now. President's Day weekend is the unofficial kickoff in February to the spring season. So we'll see where rates are then again. But again, having this extra inventory, this added homes for people to not feel so pushed to jump at the first thing they see and not feel that they're competing in bidding wars, that might help the market a bit in spring, especially if 
if new inventory comes on the market at a better price. So we're watching prices, inventory, and of course the mortgage rates, and we'll see. A lot of factors, Dan. I know a lot of people are just crossing their fingers that prices will go down very soon and rates will go down too at the same time. Don't know if that's going to happen. Our Diana Olick in Washington, thank you very much. All right, keeping our eyes on Washington as Congress prepares to return to Capitol Hill to kick off the new year with plenty of fireworks. Republicans are set to take control of the House with Kevin McCarthy scrambling to lock in critical votes needed to become the next House Speaker. The divided Congress presenting new challenges for President Biden's agenda. Oh, yeah. And there's also the 2024 presidential race that's set to gain a little bit of momentum. For more on D.C.'s year ahead, let's bring in Jimmy Pethokoukis, American Enterprise Institute economic policy analyst and, of course, a CNBC contributor. Jimmy, Happy New Year. Thanks for being here. Uh, Happy New Year to you, Frank. All right, Jim, we just laid out a whole bunch of stuff to look out for in D.C. in the new year. What do you think the biggest thing is for the markets in 2023 when it comes to D.C., the White House and Congress? I think it really has to be uh, the debt limit, where they're going to raise that debt ceiling. This is a perfect sort of toxic mix of factors for that to go a little bit wrong. Uh, we have very narrow majorities uh, in, the, in the Senate and House. Obviously, we have Republicans controlling the House. Uh, you have what I think at best will be a very weak House Speaker who's already made a lot of concessions that will make it very easy uh, for rank and file to challenge him if they don't like uh, if, if they don't like what he wants to do on the debt limit. It's going to be very hard for him to send through a clean debt bill and then there's this. Republicans have made a huge point that inflation is being caused by all the spending and deficits, which I think from their perspective, at least, will give them like an argument to make that they need to really push for spending cuts before they raise that debt ceiling. Again, if you were going to create a scenario where we could have a real conflict and delay, I think this would be it. Wow. OK. Um, we have a divided Congress, something a lot of people believe is actually good for Wall Street and good for the markets. Is that trend going to continue? You know, I think I think that's not like a bad baseline uh, opinion to have. Uh, and certainly I don't think there's going to be a lot done in this Congress. You know, maybe some stuff in the permitting reform that kind of uh, didn't quite make it uh, during the uh, during the last Congress. But when you look at issues such as uh, you know, weak U.S. productivity growth, which would be helped by, you know, more immigration, for instance. Uh, that would be a great thing to do. Uh, regulatory reform, you know, perhaps perhaps even more being done in R&D. Those things which would boost growth. Not doing anything on those, to me, does not sound like gridlock in that perspective is good. All right. What about the 2024 election? I can't believe we're already talking about the 2024 election today. Um, there's a lot of questions if Joe Biden is going to run, if President, former President Trump will run as well. Does that actually weigh on D.C. and decisions that are being made there? And do you see that also weighing on the markets? Yeah, I think I think there's actually going to be quite a bit of uncertainty. Uh, I think you're going to have a lot more Republicans running. I don't, I don't think assuming he runs, I don't think it's going to be Donald Trump. I don't think there's going to be a lot of deference uh, to him. So we're going to have candidates running. And we, and of course, we don't even know if the president is for sure going to run again. So you could have multiple Democrats running. They're going to have lots of ideas. You could have a broad spectrum on both parties about what they want to do from, you know, more, more centrist to more extremes. I think at the very least, that's a lot of headline risk because we're going to see lots of ideas out there and a lot of speculation about which of these ideas could actually make it into law. So I, th- so I think, again, from the, at least from a headline perspective, I, you know, I, I, it could be a very interesting time. Let's put it that way. All right. Two other hot button issues. At least they were hot button issues in 2022. 
immigration and also cannabis reform. Any movement on either one of those in this new year? I think very good. It's going to be hard. And I mentioned immigration earlier, which, boy, that's just that's a layup. That's a layup of what we should be doing as a country, letting, you know, hardworking, talented, striving people come to America. Uh, and yet that shows, I think, the ultimate dysfunction, which is something which should be very bipartisan. Uh, you're not going to see progress on that. And uh, I, I really think if we could get through this Congress without a debt crisis, uh, I would put that up as a big win. All right, Jim Pethokoukas, we got to leave it there. Thank you very much for being right. here and Happy New Year. Uh, see you later. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, one of the market's bright spots in 2022, losing a bit of its shine in the new year. A look at whether lithium's record run is about to come to an end when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with me. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. In a dismal year for the general market, lithium was one bright spot with the prices more than doubling. But can that momentum continue into 2023? Our Pippa Stevens joins us with much more on the story. Good morning again, Pippa. Good morning, Frank. Well, it was quite the year for lithium with momentum around electric vehicles, sending the metal to record levels. Prices surged 150 percent in 2022, according to data from Benchmark Mineral Intelligence. Over the last two years, lithium's now gained more than 800 percent amid fears that supply just can't keep pace with demand. Now, Benchmark's Simon Morris noted that in recent weeks, prices have started to retreat for the first time in a while. He pointed to macro factors fueling the weakness, including inflation and supply chain issues that have slowed the output and deliveries of EVs. He said that a break in the euphoria and a moment of reality will buy the supply chain time to build out from mine to battery cell. Still, the firm reiterated that the fundamental lack of supply in many areas of the market is set to continue, which will support higher for longer prices. Now, despite the metal surge, it hasn't translated to gains across the board for lithium miners. Big players like Albemarle and Liven both down over the last year, with Piedmont Lithium and Lithium Americas, both of which are in pre-production, also lower. One exception, though, is SQM, which gained 58 percent last year. Now, these companies have faced the same inflationary pressures we're seeing in other areas of the market. It also takes years and years for a new mine to come online, meaning, Frank, that production can't just be increased at the drop of a hat. All right. So something to watch there, Pippa. So really a question here. Increasing U.S. lithium production has become a big priority for the Biden administration. Where do we stand with that? Well, production can't just be an increase, and these mines really do take many years to come online. But the Biden administration is certainly trying. Last spring, the Biden administration invoked the Defense Production Act for a host of critical materials for electric vehicles. But really, the Inflation Reduction Act last August was the real game changer here. That, of course, ties the EV tax credits to where the battery in that vehicle comes from. And then there's also manufacturing credits for domestic um, manufacturing facilities. And we have seen more than $40 billion worth of new factories announced in the wake of the IRA, including for battery companies, notably Piedmont Lithium and Fryer. However, even though there is that federal support, one of the major headwinds for the industry is permitting. And so permitting reform could be on the agenda come this year uh, as some of these projects seek to get off the ground in a, in a more timely fashion in what can typically take, you know, between five and seven years, Frank. 
All right, our Pippa Stevens. Pippa, thank you very much. All right, on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, stocks looking to kick off the new trading year on a strong note. Tiffany McGee is standing by to lay out the first trading day of 2023. You see futures are higher right now. We're going to take a look at the stocks that are high on her shopping list. Stay with us. All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. We want to start off with some Tesla news. Shares of Tesla right now down about 3.5% after the company said it sold a record 1.3 million vehicles last year, with production up 47% compared to a year ago. But those numbers did fall short of CEO Elon Musk's own expectations. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is set to appear in a New York City courtroom today at 2 p.m. Eastern time. He's expected to enter a plea of not guilty. And one third of the world economy is expected to be in a recession in 2023 due to slowdowns in the U.S., European Union and China, according to the International Monetary Fund's chief. Twitter also being sued over not paying its rent in a lawsuit filed by the landlord for one of its offices in San Francisco, that office separate from the company's headquarters. And SpaceX is raising $750 million in a new round of funding that values the company at $137 billion. Early investors include Founders Fund, Sequoia, and Gigafund. And a developing story in the sports world. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin suffering a cardiac arrest during last night's football game against the Cincinnati Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field, and he's currently in critical condition. Best wishes to my fellow Pitt Panther, DeMar Hamlin. The whole Pitt Nation's praying for you. All right, let's get another check on how the trading day is shaping up right now. Ahead of the open, futures right now, they are solidly in the green. The Dow looks like it could open up about 250 to 270 points higher right now. Remember, it still is early. And joining me now is Tiffany McGee, CEO and CIO of Pivotal Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Happy New Year, Tiffany. Great to see you. Happy New Year, Frank. Great to see you, too. All right, let's start things off with how you see 2023 and Q1 shaping up after a really down year for the markets last year. Yeah, you know, 2020 year is probably like the year that most people can like really want to forget. And so I think that going into 2023, I think there are two things that it's going to be really hard for investors to shake off. And so uh, the first thing is really like the failure of the 60-40 portfolio. So if you're invested in 2022 in the traditional 60-40 portfolio, uh, you're in trouble now, right? Um, and, you know, really kind of coming off um, you know, you, you really have to talk about 2020 and 2021 because that's part of the story where investors were really excited about uh, growth stocks and kind of coming into 2022, you know, equities really just didn't deliver. Right. And bonds didn't really provide cover from from um, equity performance as well. And so uh, investors really need to start looking at um, alternatives and really to kind of introduce new asset classes into their portfolio. Right, so, so I'll tell you, I like commodities. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. I mean, you're, I'm you're sure already you're doing about to ask I, I thought you were pausing, um, but I'll, I'll, oh, I'll okay. lead you into it. <laughs> Tiffany, I'm going to lead you into this one. Sure. If it's not bonds, okay. if it's not equities, what are these alternative assets people should look at? Yeah, so the first thing is commodities, and I've talked about this on, on the show before. You can invest uh, in, uh, in, in, in ETFs of, of commodities. So, uh, so, so this year we invested in 
in um, in uh, wheat and soy and corn. And a lot of those commodities were really up double digits this year. And the other thing is, is REITs. And uh, I really like industrial REITs and specifically this like uh, specialty industrial REITs, things like cool storage, which are very specific, but much needed. Um, and so I really do like that, that um, kind of leaning into those, those industrial uh, REIT plays. All right. So, Tiffany, uh, you, you want to lean into some alternatives, but we do mostly focus on stocks and equities on this show. So I know you have a few picks. If we want to dip our toe back into growth, something that's fallen out of favor, at least last year, what stock would you look at as a growth stock right now? Yeah, so one of the stocks that I really like is Pinterest. And, you know, when we look at, when we look at growth stocks, there are about three things we look at. We really want to pay attention to, at our firm, disruptive business models. We also like competitive moats and really a management team that's really intentional about execution of, of their business strategy. So I definitely like Pinterest, but I also like Lulu. And so Lulu is not a name that you think about when you think about growth stocks, but all growth stocks are not uh, tech stocks, right? They're not these, these kind of like uh, high techie innovative, innovative stocks. When you look at a company like Lulu, um, they have 5% of the market share, right? Compared to like 34% for Nike. So they have tons of runway. Um, you know, they've really kind of staked their claim in the athleisure space. They're an all uh, direct to consumer model. Their DTC.com is doing very well. Um, and they have this pricing power to kind of offset their higher costs. And they have tremendous um, you know, uh, avenues for growth. They've launched into men's, footwear, and then also connected fitness with their acquisition of Mirror. Yeah, very interesting. I know a lot of men are actually looking at Lululemon pants. Joe Kernan coming up on Squawk Box, a big fan of those Lululemon pants. So you're kind of spelling out what didn't work last year, some things that may work uh, this year in some of your picks. What are the other factors that we should look at going into the year? Is this maybe a time to buy the dip? We mentioned the Nasdaq down more than 30 percent last year. Mega cap tech stocks, are, are those on a discount right now in your mind or is it, are you still holding off on perhaps dipping your toe back into those? Yeah, listen, there are still some great opportunities to buy good names at a discount right now, right? And I think until, as, as long as the Fed is still is still increasing rates, I think that we're going to see a lot of those uh, growthier names at a discount. But, you know, I, I caution investors to really kind of pay attention um, in terms of your strategy and picking growth stocks. And so, you know, we, uh, but w- whatever it is that you have conviction around, kind of really pay attention to like the balance sheets, to the business models, uh, because you, you want to be very selective with your uh, with your growth stock picks, um, uh, there are a lot of stocks that are down right now, not because they're bad companies, but because they're kind of swept up in that downward momentum. All right. So you, you mentioned that bonds didn't really provide cover. Do you see that setup changing at all? We're obviously expecting the Fed to continue to hiking rates. Do bonds become more attractive as we go throughout 2023? Maybe in like the later half of 2023, but you know, keep in mind we are still in this in this time where the Fed is still increasing rates. And so I think that we're going to see a little bit of the same. I mean, I know, you know, ho- hopefully today will be a good day, but I don't see any drastic change in the first quarter of 2023. Uh, so so I, I don't necessarily think that bonds are, are, are that the, the flip has been switched because we're in 2020 and bonds are going to be able to pro- provide that cover. So I think it's just very important for, for investors to stay invested, but also look at your overall portfolio. Um, you know, you, you might need to kind of rebalance and just kind of like rethink how you're going to get through first of January and then through the first quarter of 2023. All right, Tiffany McGee, Happy New Year. Great to see you as always. Thank you for the insight. Happy New Year. 
All right, right now, futures solidly in the green, and that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. That looks like it could open up about 280 points higher at this point. The Nasdaq also up over a percent in the pre-market. Of course, it is early. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. The first squawk box of the year. That's coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.